Hello. It is a Saturday in October. You are with me on the back porch enjoying the wonderful, wonderful sounds and smells of desert rain. I am back in Arizona and it is raining cats and dogs outside and I am so excited about it. Obviously, I make fun of Midwesterners a lot because they can't shut up about the weather. Once it's nice out, it's oh my goodness, it's highs of 80 for the rest of time until the weather gets bad again. And I was like, why does everybody talk about the weather? But then I went back to my Arizona roots and now it's raining and I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys, it's raining. Did you, can you hear the rain? I love it. I have a contentious history with Arizona. I am back with my parents. We're navigating a very difficult time as a family. And I was like, you know what? I am returning to Chicago. The unexpected sleeper pick. I never thought I would like a city specifically. I mean, any city because I grew up very uh, rural and then somewhat suburban. But wow, wow, I love Chicago so much. I will return once I'm good and ready, but being back near my family and thus back near my roots is what is best for everybody right now. So I am here in boring ass Arizona, wasting away, but being rejuvenated by the falling rain. I do not have an accompanying essay today for this little moment in the garden space. Of course, the garden space is a newsletter and a podcast where we learn about the planting and blooming of human connection. And this first season is all about connecting to oneself, the process of cultivating a relationship with yourself, uh, a friendship with yourself, a love for yourself, and acknowledging the parts of yourself that you don't love and you don't want to be in relationship in and that you don't like. If you are unfamiliar with the garden space, I encourage you to listen to episode one, the garden space and introduction that talks about this internal landscape that I have where I am both the garden and the gardener. I am the fertile things that grow from the earth and I am the gentle hands that raise them up. It's the process of not just self-discovery, but also self-crafting. I understand that I as a person was like this before I realized that I was, right? In the first episode, I talk a lot about being 14, actually, I think almost 14, like 13 and, you know, seven eighths or something like that. <laughs> and I pick up a notebook for the first time and in the process of writing, I realize, wow, I have all this stuff inside myself. At first, the first thing that I saw was just this little tilled garden, a bunch of fertile earth. Later, I talk about the wisteria that I found that my Aunt Madeline, my namesake, left me, grew my whole life, and then I found it only after she had passed away. And from there, it's been the slow process of introducing you to the parts of myself that I have encountered, the parts of myself that I've fallen in love with, the parts of myself that I don't like very much. So if you want transcriptions in the form of essays, they are over at ismatu.substack.com. And there's also a lot of other goodies, you know, behind a cute little $5 a month because I really enjoy this labor for you. The work that I do for the internet brings me a lot of joy. I love stretching my muscles of excellence in this way. And I love being rewarded for my excellence. And I also really like groceries and, and gas and other fun little luxuries like that. So if you are interested in hearing a little bit more about my personal life, uh, getting into the mess of things and you're also interested in supporting a reader supported publication and engaging in that relationship with me I really appreciate it and as always at the newsletter you are free to send me an email I respond to everyone I'm behind on emails at the moment because gmail is a snake 
and pushed you all to the promotions tab which i honestly never checked but now i'm checking so if you're waiting on an email from me i have not forgotten about you but the reason that i wanted to come into today's episode um without a pre-written essay is because i don't have a desire to write an essay about the bible <laughs> um and we're taking a biblical concept today and applying it to the self it's a word in hebrew called hesed or kaset depending on the translation and the pronunciation uh and there are no english equivalents for this hebrew word that shows up in the bible over and over and over again i've been doing a lot of thinking about this word over the past 10 years because i grew up in a christian household and i was very much a little miniature bible scholar you could not get me out of the bible growing up and this concept of love is something that i really want to talk about especially because many kinds of love are present in the christian theology that i don't always feel like get translated to white contemporary evangelism christianity or even black contemporary evangelism christianity but i wanted to speak on this subject because I think it is a very powerful tool for self-reflection and I have been thinking about it for years it's an essay that like it's it's something it's been the subject of many a journal entry writing an essay felt a pretty redundant for me so you're going to raw we're going to cold okay it's just you me my dulcet tones loose jazz music and the beautiful beautiful sounds of coming rain and thunder so I hope that's all right I will do my best to get a transcript up as soon as possible. One thing that I love about essays is that they're available for readership for accessibility reasons and I have not forgotten about that. But in any place, join me, take a big deep breath with me, ready? I want to talk about self-love in the form that compels you to action, which I think has said, my best definition of has said is a love which compels you to act so this is our first session of love theory love theory is a segment on this podcast in which we're going to be talking about the theories of love and the theories behind different cultures different religious practices different ideologies of what love is what love can be people know a lot about uh the triangular theories of love they know about the eight greek kinds of love but i think there are many 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 people over millennia that have done a lot of thinking and postulating and grappling with what is love how many different kinds of love can we try on and take off as human beings are there loves that are specific to a region a circumstance a, a nation a selfhood i really find all these questions quite interesting i think that love makes the world go around and i want to take a lot of time to make sure that i invest in interrogating what love is to me what love is for me and what love is foreign to me that i might like to get to know so again this is the first season of the garden space in which we're really just focusing on the self self exploration self love self connection um self-knowledge self-betterment self-avoidance whatever it might be and i want us to move with the concept that love is not theoretical we can theorize about love we can do our best to name it and to categorize it and to mold it into things that make sense to us in its neat little boxes however love in and of itself is not a theory love is not theoretical love is an active feeling it is an active action that 
every human being encounters, whether it's from you, for you, or some combination of the two, right? So as much theorizing and postulating as we do, I don't want us to get too heady because these are concepts, these are actions, these are realities that exist in real life. And also, I want us to move with the understanding that self-exploration does not always need to be grueling. Self-exploration does not necessarily always mean that you are ripping yourself apart to put yourself back together. It is not just shadow work. It isn't just the work of trying to get to know the deepest, darkest parts of yourself. Uh, I think I say in a previous essay that I consider myself unknowable. Like It's a hubris of mine to think that I can know myself in my fullness or in my entirety, especially because I have lots of loved ones that have known me for a moment, a year, a lifetime, and know me in different ways than I know myself. I am able to be known by many different entities, by different moments in time and space, by different people, and that doesn't make their understandings of me any less true or valid than the understanding that I have of myself. The more I explore, the more I find, and that makes me think that I'm never going to actually know my selfhood in entirety. So it does not always have to be this process of self-exploration sad or, I don't know, difficult. Sometimes self-exploration can be pleasuring or full of love, gushy, romantic, sexual feelings about yourself are also welcome in this space it isn't always the constant process of well how do i be better how do i be better some of it is the process of how do i love the things that are here i'm not in a constant process of changing myself for me self-exploration looks a lot more like observation than it does uh, making an itinerary of things that i need to change and sure there are absolutely times where I encounter parts of myself that I don't wish to hold on to or that are unproductive for my current life or in some ways don't fit with the ways that I'm going. There are little deaths to self all the time, especially when you grow and you age and you encounter times and circumstances that require you to grieve parts of yourself that could not come along on this grand journey of life with you. A really easy one to point out is COVID, right? Lots and lots and lots and lots of us are profoundly affected by the pandemic raging unchecked in the United States and uh, triggering constant pop-ups and flare-ups across the rest of the world. I am a changed person. 2019 me is never coming back. I wish them the best. I hope that they have such a wonderful life over there because I know that time is not necessarily linear. And cyclical i understand that there isn't quite a death to self but it means that i personally in in the reality that i am existing in every day don't have regular access to them anymore and i agree with that but part of self-exploration uh is the giving and the getting of who i am at any given point in time and it doesn't always have to be bad sometimes we can just allow ourselves to think about how we love each other and how we love ourselves when that grief gets too heavy or when I'm too frustrated with the person I wish to be and how it's held in contempt with the person that I am or the ways I am disappointed in myself. Sometimes I can just think about love and how much I love myself and whether I love myself and other people. Now, here's my next 
big uh, glaring neon sign. I currently have a contentious relationship with Christianity. I'm starting love theory in a practice that I'm very familiar with. I was born and raised in the Christian church. I come from a several parent Christian household. Everyone that has ever parented me has been Christian, openly identifies as Christian, is proudly Christian, is raised by black people that were Christian, that had significant spiritual experiences. Some might call it charismatic. That's not a word I heard until college. I would call it what it was. <laughs> um, the idea that I, I don't talk a whole lot about my spiritual life or my religious practices online because I'm a very private person despite my being a public figure. Uh, there are only so many parts of myself that I am willing to give the big bad internet. However, for this space, this space of the garden space, we know that there's a lot of vulnerability that happens here in this exchange. So I'll talk a little bit about the Christianity that I was raised in. My parents did not do a lot of direct counseling to me on how to be Christian. They wanted me to figure it out for myself, even though they were like they did firmly raise me as Christian but they did not require me to do any Bible reading. I was never required to go to church. I was never required to do any of this. They very much just let me engage however I wanted to engage. And I was the one that jumped in feet first. I requested a Bible uh, dedicated to me when I was six and got one for Christmas that following year. I loved everything that had to do with like church extracurriculars. I was in the play, I was a little dancer, been a dancer, okay. <laughs> If you know, you know. <laughs> I was in the plays. I was at Awana. I grew up and became an intern voluntarily. I rose through leadership ranks. I was started public speaking at my church when I was 14, 15, and then continued that all the way through high school. It's one of the reasons that I don't find any jitters and public speaking comes very naturally to me. Yo, just like singers were born in church, speakers were born in church too, okay? We remember lots of great orders, particularly of the civil rights movement. I mean, two very big ones come to mind. Martin and Malcolm both got their orating practice in the church, as did I. So I don't want to pay these faith spaces that did a lot to build me dust. I don't want to say that I've like completely denounced them and that they're not a part of me. However, and this is my very big glaring neon sign, I am deeply distrustful of interpretations of the Bible that conveniently uphold cis white patriarchy. I'm deeply distrustful of interpretations of the Bible that conveniently uphold existing power structures, especially because at this point I have read the Bible a lot, a lot. The religion that I studied was deeply subversive. The God of Israel constantly posited themselves as the God of the oppressed and the savior, the messianic savior of this particular religious practice who regularly stood with the whores and more, okay? He was going to be at my table. So I know that this is a bit of beating a dead horse. I'm saying something that's pretty obvious to the secular public that Christianity is rooted in a lot of hypocrisy. But it goes deeper than hypocrisy. It isn't just that people decided to live a different way and then distorted the Bible to fit their needs. It was an intentional erasure of 
queerness. It was an intentional injecting of homophobia. It was an intentional reading of the Bible as pro-slavery. Those things are foundational to the United States. If you have not read The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tibsey and you are any sort of Christian or you are interested in Christian theology and how it has impacted the formation of the United States, I would heavily, 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 heavily recommend it. It is a phenomenal book. I got to meet him. I have a signed copy. But studying the United States and its history without studying the religion that formed it, which was Christian extreme, white Christian extremism that was using Christianity as the basis for building a white supremacist ethno state is very important. Meaning that they took a religion that was slated to be for the the perpetual slave, right? We know that Jewish people have been kicked around and, and sacked and enslaved and sacked and enslaved and sacked and enslaved many, many times over their ancient history, right? This was supposed to be a religion for them and it got converted into the religion of the slave owners. And I am under the impression that love and its many forms of love occur in the Bible over and over and over again in a way that I find worth studying. So I'm, I'm just going to say all that really explicitly. I understand that this is like a really triggering topic, especially because the Christian church has been one of the points of colonization. There are many different kinds of people that have been deeply wounded by the church sometimes life wounds i am in that number and i don't want to bring up christianity or the bible as something that is inherently right or inherently better than any other faith-based practices spiritual traditions and i don't want to bring up christianity as the only organized tradition that uses the bible hoodoo comes to mind big and in full okay so i just want to set the stage for this that i am using this particular word from Hebrew traditions to examine a way that love has occurred for some portions of humanity or maybe lots of portions of humanity over time. Okay, so now getting into the actual love theory about it. There are lots of words for love that exist in the Bible. We know that portion of the Bible is written in Hebrew and then a portion was written in Greek after like thousands of years occurred. So this is a word from the Old Testament occurring 253 times in 241 verses across the Old Testament is a word called hesed or kesed depending on what the translation is that you get. I know that I'm butchering that, so if I have any Hebrew speakers that are fans of the podcast, feel free to write in. But my definition of this, my short definition of this word, because there are no English equivalents, there aren't even close to English equivalents, there are entire books. I think I found three books on this word alone, but I'm describing it here as a love which compels you to act. Now, definitionally, because we use a lot of different words in the Bible trying to translate this word, hesed, kesed. Uh, mercy, goodness, covenant loyalty, steadfast. I also describe it here as the love of a kept promise or a covenant, right? Now the etymology, uh, it is a Hebrew word and the root word actually comes from a word that means to bow one's head in courtesy to an equal. To bow one's head in courtesy to an equal. That's really interesting that that's the root word of hesed because we see a large uh, variation in biblical usage. We see hesed used for human love for other humans. We see hesed used for human love for God, the God of Israel specifically. And we see the God of Israel, Yahweh's, their love for humanity 
all described in this word hesed. So what does this mean and what place does this have in the garden space, especially in a context of working on self-relationship, self-love, self-lack thereof? What does it look like to be so committed to love for someone that I am compelled to act in their kindness interest over and over again without second thought for all the days of my life? So let's go over this word covenant um, because promise and covenant are synonyms but kind of vary in intensity. Covenant is like a marriage covenant. Covenants are rings on. Covenants are, I don't know if y'all saw that Cartier bracelet tweet where they were like, the Cartier love bracelet is like locked on you forever and can only be opened by a special key. Yeah, that's covenant. That's covenant shit right there. You are locked in. This is my word that I will keep to you. I will lay my life down for this promise. Covenant shit. And that's the kind of love that is associated with the word has said it's the love of a kept promise it is a promise that is big enough to be deeply inconvenient and it is kept every time anyways without second thought the idea that this comes from the root word of bowing one's head in courtesy to an equal the fact that we see not only humans using that for each other right that makes sense i hold you in high regard as my fellow human i will do the things that i say that i'll do the fact that we use that for god bowing our heads to an equal we don't think of god in the christian realm or at least this is the christianity that i was taught humans are not equal to god not at all you spend your whole life talking about that you are intrinsically broken and that you are constantly in need of their saving grace mercy and power so the idea that this comes from bowing your head to an equal and we see humans using this in their love for god is quite profound and further we see god bowing their head their godly head in courtesy to the equal of humanity in which they created that's really different than the idea that humans are constant subservience to god the creator who is all-powerful omnipotent all-seeing all-knowing who is supposed to be the all-in-all god isn't every good thing right the idea that god themselves the godhead would bow and make themselves small to be able to keep their promises is quite profound this is a word that has made me stop and chew and think and write and research many many times in fact the first i remember the first time that i learned about the word has said i was a christian youth counselor okay i told you i was deep deep in it <laughs> a christian youth counselor at a count that will remain nameless because there may or may not come a time where i talk shit about them on the internet and i'm not trying to get litigated although let me not be shady let me not be shady <laughs> i was a christian youth counselor my rec was at the beach shack so you know we were camp counselors i was there for the whole summer i lived on the campgrounds it was a very specific environment that drove me pretty nuts and i spent a lot a lot a lot of time in that summer deep in my journaling and in my reading and in my writing bag because it was truly the only thing keeping me sane i did an hour of bible in the morning and an hour in bible at night and i had a lot of tea like a lot and i took heavy advantage of my ample alone time at the bead shack because i'm a great marketer actually so so long as i marketed the bead shack and said hey come have fun and we'll listen to tunes and like enjoy my wonderful bubbly personality and i'll teach you how to make all these cool bracelets which i now am a bracelet master i had kids out the wazoo but if i didn't do that and i just kind of wanted a week off during rec time i would simply shut my mouth it was wonderful 
I had a lot of downtime there and I remember doing a Bible study on the YouVersion Bible app, you know, keeping up my 400 day streak or whatever, what crazy nonsense that was. And it talked about the different loves that are present in the Bible. One of them was Hesed. And it's really a word that has confounded Bible scholars for millennia, many, many years. Nobody knows what this word means because we really don't have an English equivalent. And, you know, language begets culture and the vice versa. I think that it is worth noting that we don't have an English equivalent because America is regularly the land of broken promises. We don't be keeping our word to one another. It's not that big of a deal to go back on your word. And there aren't a whole lot of consequences if you say that you were going to do something that you didn't do. Now, I understand that you might face some consequences, but like the idea that your reputation will be moved, ruined over a broken pinky promise is sort of absurd to us. Well, the Israelites took their promises seriously and they were beholden to a God that took their promises very seriously and the vice versa. What's interesting about Hesed is not just that it is about loyalty or the love that comes with loyalty. It's not just about being steadfast or the love that comes with being steadfast. We also have loving kindness, mercy, and goodness here regularly used as synonyms in the English language when translating Hesed, depending on the context that it's in. We see Hesed all over the songs, Psalms. King David crying out to God for his loving kindness, for his loving goodness. We have a really famous Bible verse where hesed is the word that's used, right? Surely goodness and surely mercy walk beside me all my days. That's that's hesed. Surely goodness hesed and surely mercy hesed. Both the same word. That's very interesting. Goodness and mercy are not synonyms. Um, mercy and grace are not synonyms. One is when you do not do something that someone does deserve, that would be mercy. If you take my Snickers, I deserve to bop you upside the head about that. Um, and then grace is giving something on top of that, giving something to someone that they don't deserve. So not only did you steal my candy bar and I'm not gonna go tattle to mom on you so she can get your ass whooped, I'm also gonna give you another one on top of that because clearly you're hungry. If you're stealing from me, hey, here's another meal. That's mercy and goodness, or sorry, that's mercy and grace. And we have goodness or benevolence here that it that's talking about one of the, it's supposed to be one of the natures of God, it's one of the fruits of the spirit that speaks to the sincere, affection that we have for people that allows us to bloom. I definitely think of benevolence a lot in the garden space when it comes to bearing fruit. Lots of the fruit that is born from my relationships that I keep in my garden space, both the relationships that I have with other people and the relationships that I keep with myself are benevolent. They feel good. They are good. They're born of good intent. Benevolence is one of the cornerstones of platonic affection, in my opinion. So the idea that there's that's that's also wrapped up here, platonic affection. There's a devotion, a dedication wrapped up in this word hesed. If you Google hesed and you read about it, people talk a lot about marriage, the marriage between, oh, it's hesed is when a wife prays for her husband for years without knowing her. Hesed is when a husband continually shows up for his wife every day. Yeah, okay, okay, okay we get it. Christianity loves marriage. We love to tout marriage as the best kind of the best kind of love that can happen to you. And I have a lot of feelings, like a lot, a lot of feelings about that. Have had a lot of feelings about that as someone that does not have uh, marriage as one of their great life's missions and also grew up as a woman or at least perceived to be a woman in the Christian church. Imagine being a young girl saying, yeah, I don't really want to get married. 
<laughs> it don't go that well. But I also think that the root of Hesed is not actually the, the romantic binding that can come with marriage. It's the platonic binding that comes with seeking a life partner and serving them all the days of your life. It means that God the deity, God the all-powerful, has decided to seek humanity as their own life partner. And it means that humans can do that for other humans. It means that humans can do that in return to God. Remember, it's the constant bowing of one's head in courtesy to an equal. All that is wrapped up in grace, in goodness, in mercy, in loyalty, in the steadfast love of a kept promise. And to really touch down on this word steadfast, it is not just steadfast love, it's the continuing goodness of love over generations. We see King David giving land to one of his subjects that he could have exiled, that he had every right to exile, right? So we see that mercy. Uh, I'm not going to exile you even though I have every right to as the king and you have fucked up. And not only mercy, I am going to give you grace. I'm going to give you something that you didn't deserve on top of that. Here's the land of your ancestors. Why? Because I'm keeping my promise generationally, even though that shit don't have nothing to do with me. Even though I'd be right to just take my land and keep it moving. I'm going to give it to you to fulfill this promise of my people and your people. It's continuing goodness over generations. Now, quick caveat, why might white supremacist culture not like the idea of continued goodness over generations? What might they have to atone for? Just food for thought, just food for thought. But again, what does it look like to be so committed to love for somebody that I am compelled to act in their kindest interest, in their most best interest over and over and over again without a second thought? The idea that I wouldn't is completely unthinkable to me. It didn't even occur to me that I wouldn't do that for all the days of my life, no matter how inconvenient it is, no matter how much it disrupts the things that I wanna do, the idea that I'm going to show up for you because I said I would, and that's really as simple as that, not because there are going to be consequences, not because someone's going to get me if I don't, not even because I think that you deserve it or it's what I owe to you. It's because I said that I would. said is a love which compels you to act. So I want to think about said in relation to us, in relation to, I want to think about what it would look like for me to have the verb said. A love that compels me to act in my own best interest. I see it here in the Bible, humans to other humans, humans in deity, deity to human. What about self to self? Is it possible that this is something that can fit inside my own person? Can I act in six-year-old me's best interests? Can I act in eight-year-old's me best interests? So much so that the idea of self-destruction, of self-mutilation, of keeping myself punished by guilt and shame is unthinkable? Is that possible? Can I be in a place where I wake up every day and I look at myself and say, Ismatu, wow, I cannot wait to give you my best today because I said that I would. Not because there are gonna be consequences, not because I'm afraid of being broke, not even because I am pursuing abundance and profit, literally just because I said that I would. And then anything that comes after that is a byproduct of the love that compels me to act in my own best interest. Is that possible? Have I felt that before? Do I know what it's like to put down my own wants and my own convenience, my own wills for my life and act in the best interest of a me that I can't even see yet? 
of a me that I've met before but I don't particularly like. Of a me that probably won't be that mad either way. I find my own wants, my own dreams, and my own boundaries negotiable because I'm very rarely mad at myself. I am very good at contextualizing my actions. And this is the other side of the pendulum, right? When, Especially when I was really steeped in uh, cultures of uh, atonement and constant repentance, I was really, really hard on myself. I was constantly in this battle of not being enough. I was deeply disappointed every time that I had done something that was not in my best interest every time i missed the mark every time i engaged in what christianity calls sin every time that i felt like i was separated from my roots my deity my my personhood my circumstance every time that i did something that fractured my personhood i was really really hard on myself i think i've swung to the opposite side of the pendulum where i'm a lot less judgy of me I see the reasons why I make the decisions that I do. I understand that I need to do what I need to do in order to learn the lessons that I need to learn. And that's about as hard as I think about it. That led to a long, long season of hedonism that I do not regret. However, I am coming back from that. So the pendulum is swinging the other way. I want to land some sort, someplace in the middle. What would it look like for me to consistently act in my own mercy, in my own goodness, in my own loyalty, steadfast love to myself, what would it look like to have a love for myself and every self that I've ever been and every self that I'll ever be? To act in the way of a kept promise, not because something bad is going to happen to me if I don't, not because I'm avoiding the process of atonement, not even because I am chasing the, the fruits of benevolence, the goodness that comes from me keeping the promise to myself, not even because I'm looking for the reward, but simply because I said that I would, because generationally I know that I'm supposed to, because I know that this is the fulfillment of a promise, and because I am a crucial part, part. <laughs> and because I am a crucial part in fulfilling my own promises to myself, what would that look like? Do I like that reality? Is that something that I find feasible? Why or why not? Does Hesed, a love which compels me to act in my own best interest over generations, continued goodness over generations, does that have a place in my garden space? Hesed, in short, means favor. It means favor of the law. It means to be seen favorable in light of the law, but it also means a little bit more than that, right? Not just favor in the laws and you're right, but favor in the laws and you're rewarded. It is the intersection of grace and mercy. And it is related to covenant, right? The kind of love that remembers what they said and keeps a promise however difficult it is. What might that plant look like? If I were to cultivate the love of Hesed, if I were to take these seeds that I'm chewing on and plant them in my own fertile earth, what do I think would grow? I don't know. But it's been really fun to explore. I think this was a great first raw-dogged episode of The Garden Space. Thank you so much for sharing this space with me. Looks like the rain has lightened up a little bit. The sun's out, so it feels like perfect timing to send you all off on your day. Enjoy these seeds from my garden space to yours. If you like them, feel free to blow them in somebody else's garden. You know, give this a little share. The best kinds of emails that I receive are the ones where people 
reach out to me and say i talked about this with my people in real life i talked about this with my sister with my friend with my mom with my i love those i love making art that compels people to act i think that's my has said to you that i'm going to keep doing the things that i say that i'm doing that this is going to be a weekly podcast i think saturdays are the best days for my rhythm so committing for one episode every saturday per season i said on the newsletter that y'all are going to get a syllabus of the things that i'm talking about so that you can be excited to tune in happening too i also want to have a love for the community that i'm cultivating here that compels me to act in your best interest which means showing up when i said that i would which means that giving you my best work which means that making sure it's accessible to everybody that wants it and it also means that my best work is always free again i'm not doing any of this for the work of capitalism i am not on the garden space to get rich i am here because the work of sharing my writings and my musings about love is important to me and because i said that i would it's i'm here because i said i would be so thank you for allowing me to have a love that compels me to act on all of our best interests and i will see you next time mm -hmm.